Welcome to Rafik Hazi Podcast. Guys, today we're going to get into the origin story of how we went from zero to seven figures in four years as a business. I think this is going to be very uh, insightful for all of us, including myself. And I, I mean, I'm hoping to learn a lot from this. This is one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast. And we have our guest, Daniel, on here, our co-host, actually, our official co-host. Yeah, yo, what is up, guys? So I'm super excited to be here on this podcast, especially because, you know, we got a lot of feedback saying that people enjoyed being able to interrogate Kazi, basically, because he was just dropping a whole bunch of nuggets. And what we're going to get into today is literally how he was able to go from zero to seven figures in what was that, about three to four years, Kazi? Yeah, about three to four years, right? We started in 2017, start of 2017, and right now it's, uh, I think, third quarter of 2020. That is an absolutely amazing journey, but I honestly, like, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because very often you can get so many details and so many nuggets from someone's journey that they don't even realize, and again, we want to just document this for you guys so that maybe you guys can also pick up on those things and potentially apply it to your business or whatever part of the journey you are currently on. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, guys, we're super excited. Awesome. Awesome. So I just want to get right into it, Kazi, and I would like for you to just give us a little bit of background on where you were like financially in your life before you made your very first dollar online and then what took you in that direction? Damn. Um, <clears throat> my first dollar online. So I think I was in, I was still in college or I was just about to drop out. I think my first dollar was made online around like just the start of 2017, I believe. And, uh, oh, yeah, it was actually end of 2016. It was just complete end. It was like literally December 30th, 31st. I like ran a New Year's sale. I did not think it was going to work. I didn't even know what the hell this thing was going to be about. And I remember I did this... Um. Like I had learned about email marketing. I had learned about product launch model. And I remember my fr good friend Tenzin at the time would be into all of this stuff. And he would tell me about it. So I started learning about like Ramit Sethi, started learning about all these people who sold their products and services online. And I didn't know if it was real. I didn't know if I could make a dollar off of it, but it just seemed very exciting. And I had already launched my YouTube channel a little earlier in the year, like around, um, I had launched it in May, but I didn't really, wasn't active until really October of 2016. And I had already gotten like 5,000 YouTube subscribers. I had a bunch of people on my email list. I think I must have had over 1,000 people on my email list by that time. And then mm -hmm. I just did a small product launch. I launched a, I was just like, guys, New Year's sale, like the year is ending. I just launched this product and, you know, it's, Supposed to be $200, but right now it's $47 and did this launch. And I remember on December 31st, I did it. I woke up January 1st and I saw $47 <laughs> in 
And literally, I just ran around the entire house in my underwear, screaming at the top of my lungs. I was like, ah! <laughs> literally running around everywhere. I swear to God. I called my like brother in like California. My parents were like, what the hell is wrong with you? Because I was still living with my parents at that time. And they were laughing and they were excited. And I was like, I just made $47. And to them, it was just like, you know, they were excited. They were happy. But to everybody, I said it was $47. That's all it was. For me, it was unlocking this whole universe of online marketing and like realizing that it's actually real. Yeah, no, that I mean, as you're taking me through a moment, I could definitely relate because, you know, I, I remember when I was talking to you about when I basically made my first sale line with Amazon FBA, which is like it was unbelievable, right? You wake up. And then you see, you know, well, for me, it was more like $9 from a product we had sold. We just see that and you're like, oh, my God, dude, this is absolutely insane. But so in your specific case, was this for Clever Programmer already or was this with other projects that you might have been working on? This was this was from Clever Programmer. That's kind of okay. crazy. Yeah. My first online dollar that I made, I think, was from Clever Programmer. That's kind of crazy. That is awesome. So can we actually... Talk a little bit more about the buildup to that and some of those details. So, for example, you talked about you're already doing a little bit of email marketing. You had an email list. So what were some of the things that you were doing back then to build that email list? I Yeah, even when I was showing you, I had started putting out YouTube videos on my channel. Mm -hmm. And what I started doing was the thing that really put me on the map were two things. One was I knew there was this really popular site called Code Academy, And, you know, my channel is teaching people how to become a developer. That's what Clever Programmer is. And I saw Code Academy, and I thought, okay, what if I just did a walkthrough on it? Because I saw it was popular. Like a lot of people were searching it up. I remember when I was trying to learn, I was searching it up. Code Academy is basically like, you know how Duolingo is like famous for language people code academy is like that for developers mm -hmm. everybody wants to learn to become a developer goes to code academy i don't know if it's still that popular now but it definitely used to be now it might be free code camp so i did an entire walkthrough covering code academy and then what that allowed that what dad did is it when people would type in code academy they would come across my content and so that was one big walkthrough that i did and it was about 20 or 30 videos and then I did one more, which was I just made a Python course, which is, you know, which is a programming language and it's really, really popular. And I just did a, you know, 20, 30 video series on the Python one. And then I knew once I dropped a Python free course, I didn't know it was going to blow up this much, but it like really just took off. And that's kind of what like put me on the map. Yeah, I, I, and that's so cool because I remember having that conversation with you. And I'm actually curious because that Code Academy course that, or the tutorial or the walkthrough that you did, was basically very niche down, right? Because the only people who are going to watch that are people who are going through that same tutorial. Yeah. So what is what is your take on someone who might barely be starting in their journey towards, you know, posting content and content marketing? Should they try to find something very niche or something above or just what advice would you have there? Damn. It's it's a tough answer because for example, when you were doing the fitness niche, like it's mm -hmm. 
tr- like it's hard. Like that niche is so populated, it's difficult. I would, you know, the advice that I would actually give you right now, if you were doing it, or if even with your own businesses, I would say people should go through different ways of distribution as well, like TikTok. Mm-hmm. Because I've been working with my client Bruce. Shout out to Bruce if you're listening. Shout out to Bruce. <laughs> he had been working for three years on YouTube, right? And he got up to just a little bit over 8,000 subscribers. Almost never missed a single week of producing video, video content. Maybe some weeks, but most of the weeks he's always produced content. Didn't give him the leverage he was looking for. Jumps on TikTok. And in about 10 or 12 days, he has over 12,000 followers. Videos with over like 600,000 views. Or maybe almost 600,000. I knew the last time I checked was 540-something thousand. And you have his five givens of life as a cover on your phone. Yeah. My brother knows who Bruce is because my brother now watches his content. That's the power of like brand and that's the power of becoming intelligent through this. Like what if I had given them the advice to podcast? You know what would happen? There would be another about 20 years before you or I would find out about them. Mm -hmm. So, and he's my client. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) So just different. I would become smarter with even how I distribute content. If we're new, that's really hard. I don't go just keep posting content forever. Like so many people do that. And then, you know, they'll get like seven views on their like 90th video. That doesn't feel good either. Right. And I Mm -hmm. wouldn't do that myself. So I'm not going to tell people to do that. What I would argue, what I would say is if you're just starting out, focus on distribution 90% 90% of your time should be on distribution. And even the one thing I was listening of Gary V's recently is like spend one hour on content creation and nine hours on like distribution of that content a, a day. So that really clarifies it. And what that means specifically is let's say how even you and I make this podcast right now. Well, once we're done with this podcast, what we should do is spend the next eight hours on the following things. One, I uh, posting in Facebook groups about it that are already marketing based Facebook groups. So that's one of place where our audience exists and making great valuable posts and then linking here. So that's just to be clear on that Two, what we should do is make TikToks out of it and post it because that has way more leverage than Instagram does. Instagram will get 20 views on TikTok any one of our pod, any one of our clips from just this one podcast has the potential to get like 200,000 views in one day or two days. Mm-hmm. Um, IG reels, we should use IG reels and make 15 second snippets and use that because that's another one that has massive leverage, right? And mm-hmm. to put it in perspective, the highest viewed video I ever put out on Instagram had 10,000 views. You know how you can put an Instagram video, regular video, right? Yeah, like a regular post. Yeah. 10 or 15,000 views. My second to last reel I dropped has 268,000 views. Wow. You know that? I love you and, you know, the Mary Me Julia one. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Right? So imagine, so 
that would be the way to distribute. And then not to mention uh, reaching out to influencers and having them post stories for your channel. Or maybe I'm even thinking right now to pay influencers to post reels on their channel. Because if it blew up mm -hmm. on my channel and got 268,000 views, I can give it to an influencer. They can post it. And it might get 300,000 views on their channel. And now we're talking about 500,000 views in a matter of like three days. Yeah, that's that's crazy because that's something I haven't even seen in Reels yet where it's like people are promoting through Reels, right? Everyone right now is just trying to leverage that yep. to try to get a bigger following. But there's no one, like how you're saying, that's already going out there. That's going to happen inevitably, right? Yep. Like at first when TikTok was the, the platform everyone was going to, everyone was just building their following that way. But now you're starting to see a lot of advertisements. You're starting to see a lot of sponsorships. And that's probably going to start to carry over to Reels. But it might be worth being able to just hop on that as soon as possible to start to leverage other people's audiences and build your own. Yeah. That's interesting. All right, let's try that out. That's going to be super, super awesome. Um, but I want to go back to – so I guess what it sounded like was I was asking more about niching down. And what you're alluding to is instead of niching down at first, it might be worth just – being open-minded, being experimental, trying to see where you could pull the right levers to get the most leverage from your content marketing. And that includes from distribution. That means, you know, putting it on podcasts, on TikTok, on YouTube, and just seeing what's really talking to the audience. Yeah. And then from there, you could later worry about niching down. Does that kind of summarize what you're saying? Yeah. And honestly, I think like it puts a lot of pressure on people when you go, okay, you you don't have a business and you're starting. Mm -hmm. Now niche down, find your perfect avatar, blah, 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 blah. And it just sounds fancy, but for no fucking reason. Like mm -hmm. I've built my business. It's not the most successful business. We're growing, but I don't have an avatar to this day, bro. I have Uber drivers that are like joining our program and like, hey, I want to learn JavaScript. And we have like software engineers with 20, 30 years of experience joining our program and learning. So I think, honestly, the easiest thing I can say for somebody who's starting, who wants to start their own thing is if that helps you, okay, sure, go ahead, niche down and stuff. But most of the times it becomes a problem. Like even for Amberly, my girlfriend who has a brand called Sugar Shaw, and she makes fitness videos on there and teaches people how to do HIIT workouts and boxing workouts and all of that. Like if I tell her to niche down, she just freezes. She's like, I don't, you know, I'm like, make, mm. make what resonates with your audience. She's like, I have no fucking idea because you don't even have anything out there. You know what I mean? That, so you have no idea truly. I think what's the best way to do it is like, does it itch? Does it like scratch your own itch? If you can just mm. make it scratch your own itch. Like for example, if you have to make content, Daniel, and you are thinking right now, sleep is really important. And you're like, yo, here, and you like take notes on a book, like why we sleep. And you go deep down the rabbit hole, scientific research, whatever it is you're doing, you're like, shit, it would be so great for me to just put it in a video so I could watch it later just in case I forget about all this. And it'll be a reminder for me and it'll make me sleep again. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And you yeah, know yeah. all your trigger points. You know all your buttons you need to press and like what you need to hear in order to be able to go to sleep more, right? And so you record mm -hmm. that video. 
you just put that out there almost kind of like for yourself and what will happen in a real really weird way is there will be a bunch of other daniels that will resonate with in the world and they'll start like actually following your content yeah and i think that's that's such a good point because when you make that content for yourself you have fun with it and at that point it's like when you start making it for yourself, you're not really going to care if you're getting the likes or the dislikes or whatever. And there's probably people that are going to benefit from that content that you're making. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that you did, you know, early on? I mean, it sounds like it, right? Because, for example, Code Academy is a perfect example where it was something you were going through and you were looking for, but nobody had that walkthrough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was a weird case because one yeah i was going through something that somebody i was i wanted to go through it to kind of scratch my own itch but like for me i had gotten past the like most people don't get started so i had kind of gotten past the starting point so i was just focusing on like what are what's getting the most views like i'm just gonna make the thing that gets the most views because I don't want to be stuck getting no views for a really long time. And what I did is I looked up channels that were small. So this is where it gets tactical. I looked up channels that didn't have big subscribers, small, like 5,000 subscribers, 7,000, 9,000. What were they making recently that was putting them on the map? Because if you try to follow a channel that has 3 million subscribers, five, like Peter McKinnon, right? If he drops a video that like it says, oh my God, I can't believe it. And you try dropping a video, oh my God, I can't believe it. You're going to get no views, right? Mm-hmm. So what, but what they, but if, so modeling Peter McKinnon or somebody who's like really big is not going to be that helpful. But modeling somebody who's maybe a little bit ahead of you, they have 3,000 subscribers or 5,000 subscribers. Sometimes it's really powerful because they're leading the way and they're right in front of you and they've figured out something that works currently. Dude, and that is that's so huge because what that made me realize was like something you told me, right? It's like, dude, if someone wanted to model my channel, you see, and they're barely starting, it would be probably not a good idea to model what I'm like already doing because I've built a following. So it's something that, you know, you can leverage, but what they might want to do is go back to where you started and see what you had to build to build that up. But then there's that other nuance there that that's something that worked three or four years ago. It might not be something that works now, which is why it's so huge that if you get that tactical and you look for that person, that's just one or two levels ahead of you, right? If you have a hundred subscribers, Look for the person with 3K subscribers, just a couple levels ahead of you, see what you're doing, see what's working, and then implement that. That takes care of those two cases of you're you're able to model someone who's in that similar area that you're in to be able to grow. And they're also doing you're able to model something that is currently working. So that's such an amazing nuance there that you were able to hit on. Yeah, exactly. That is awesome, dude. So I want to take it back. You know, we were talking about how you were able to start to build some traction and build that email list. But by the way, how big was this email list that you were able to launch to on your very first launch in December 31st? I think like a 1200 or something along those lines. Okay, so a little bit over a thousand. How big was your YouTube following by then? I think around 5,000 subscribers. 5,000. And what was the setup that you did for your first launch out of curiosity? Like, was it just 
a call to action to some landing page or was it just super simple? Were you trying to get fancy with it too early or what was that like? I think that I whipped up a, I can't remember if it was just a checkout page or a sales page. But what I do remember was it was just like two, one or one or two emails. They're just like, ah, oh, doors are closing. And it was like doors, what doors? Like they never even opened. You know what I mean? Like just like doors are closing like tomorrow. Cause I had just like learned this stuff, you know, and I wanted to do the thing that got the most immediate results. So I could just know it was real. So yeah, mm -hmm. I just sent out essentially two emails to maybe even a checkout page, but I think it was a sales page that I had whipped up. And mm -hmm. I was selling uh, OOP Python course. I'm just covering like object-oriented programming. And yeah, that was that was really it. Like there had you already much. built out the course, by the way? I think I hadn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think I had built out a course. Yeah, I wanted to see if people would buy it. Yeah, I yeah. I told them that the modules will be coming later. That's why I was yeah, that, saying it was 47 instead of like $300. Yeah, and, and that's super big, man, because that's something that I've seen a lot of marketers talk about, especially like Steve Larson, where he's all like, one of the riskiest things you can do is build out a course that you think people are going to buy, and then you try to put it on the market, and then you see people aren't buying, right? But if you do basically what you did in your first approach, which is you're able to sell it, you're able to start to build that audience who's interested then you could build the course along with them because you start to see what are the needs that they have. Yeah, exactly. And from there, was it just like, a, did you just start to build a business or a clever programmer from launch to launch to launch? Or what was it like after your first launch? Yeah, so after the first launch, it was pretty much launch to launch. So we had a feast, they call it the feast and famine business model in digital marketing, which is, you launch and you make a lot of money, revenue, right, in your business. And then you don't launch and it's just like famine. So you feast and then you famine. But, yeah, so I did a launch in, I remember, January. I did another launch in, like, start of quarter two. Mm -hmm. And then I did our third launch in, like, November. So we did three launches that year. And I remember the numbers. They were... um. $47 for the first launch. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I was so psyched. Then the second launch was $20,000. And then the third launch was $150,000. Damn. In your very first year yeah. of basically Clever Programmer. Yeah. That is awesome, man. And from those launches, I mean, obviously, you were able to start to learn things that you were able to apply to the next one, to the next one. But... What do you say were some of the biggest things that you were able to learn from? Well, actually, let me ask this. So that was your first year, feast or famine is what you're calling it. And by the end of that, how big was your list able to get? And how big was your audience able to get? Because after three launches, you know, you're able to just, what were you building new courses? Sorry, I'm asking so many questions. Let me, no, let me ask you. Were, you able, were you building new courses for each one or was it the same course? I think it was uh, two different courses that I had built and launched in 
2017. Okay, so these two different courses, were you able to start to just gather and build a bigger audience from those launches that you were able to launch to? Or who or were you trying to launch to a cold audience at that moment? Warm, like, yeah, my own audience that we had grown over time and I had nurtured through, you know, sending them emails and building a relationship. And I would reply to every single email, every single. That's one thing I will say about 2017 that I think is important. I don't mention enough. I would I had replied to every single comment on YouTube, every single comment on email or reply on email. Like I was doing everything that year. You know, I was pretty much the only person on the team. And so I would do everything, including customer service, all of that good stuff. But I do distinctly remember like there would you could not go to any of my YouTube videos, see a comment and then not see if it have it uh it having a reply by me yeah that's that's absolutely awesome and very rare and i'm actually curious how big and how much engagement did you have to get to where you started to realize that that wasn't scalable anymore and you had to start to bring people in to help you maybe with customer support or just engaging with the audience i think it was always something i could scale like, I think you can always respond to majority of comments. Even mm-hmm. Gary Vee responds to so many. I mean, when you have 63,000 comments on a post, that gets hard. But, you know, like, you can, I'd, for most people, I don't think it'll ever be a problem. I think they should just respond to all of their comments. For me, what happened was at some point, and the truth is that it got, like, intellectually boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't like a stimulating, mentally stimulating task to respond to a comment um, and something I had responded to before many, many times. And I would rather invest that time into brainstorming about a new product, a new service, or a new YouTube video, like content. Because I knew like I could either reply to your message or I could like, make a video that helps maybe 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 people. So I started shifting more towards that. But I just feel like I, I kind of like, for me, it was just, I felt that losing, it was less of a time problem. It was just more of like kind of lost interest in replying to most comments. But then if I saw a comment that was like, oh, it's like a really fascinating thoughtful question like then i want to actually go and like reply to it that's interesting so was there anything or actually do you because what i've noticed is when you do start to engage a lot you do have a a strategy behind it and i think that's that's perfectly fine right because your time is important and you have to make sure you're allocating it to the right spaces so what i mean by that is for example right now you know we're still doing the uh, pwj launch yeah. so you're strategically you know dming or talking with people in dms taking screenshots of success stories showing them to to show people how awesome pw is but right now is the time that you're strategic strategically taking to be able to engage with the audience and start to build that trust and that brand yep. but so what are what are things that you do right now to kind of keep it more fun more engaged because even though it is strategic it's probably still a little bit of a tedious task 
task is it's probably still a little bit of boring but you're still doing it you're in there you're you're getting you know into the mud so what have you done now during this launch that you've seen that has allowed you to kind of engage more and have more fun with it yeah I mean, yeah, so you're right. I mean, it is strategic because launches, you know, when you have social proof, that will, that is pretty valuable, right? And people see it and they're like, they, that's what makes them want to enroll in the program because they're like, hey, if this is possible for this person, it's possible for me. So we, so on my Instagram right now, there are some conversations that are like really genuinely interesting. I mean, some people I'm just answering their questions and things like, like there's, don't get me wrong. There's still like 50 to 70 people I'll reply to on a daily basis that never gets posted to Instagram story, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the ones who do get like, there'll be so many comments I'll reply to. There's so many, but if I see something like that's gold mine, you know, somebody's like, yeah, I just got a, like recently Yamna, who's in our um, Clever Programmer community and PWJ community, she commented on an Instagram post and she like wrote this long post. And then she also says, hey, I just made like, I got a $70,000 a year job as a developer. And she was like yelling at some other dude in the comments. And she's like, you know, like, so don't, <laughs> you know, like, she's like, why are you leaving? Def- <laughs> yeah, defending. <laughs> So I took her screenshot. So like I'm responding to people like I regularly would. And I'm just I'm like now just really fast at it. So I'm just like like responding, voice messages, going through it fast, hand-to-hand combat. And then I'll see a thing like this screenshot, go back, click story, go to images, post a story, put a red circle around it, put a caption that says Yomna just, you know, a PWJ student, landed a 70k a year job, like Suck on that, Ricky. You know, like whoever was talking <laughs> crap, you know? And then like put it in white text, put a white background behind it, throw um the logos. No, not the logos. There's this this other New York, I think, filter that I use on Instagram a lot. I love it. It's like it gives us this grungy feel. And then I will like put some music on it, like Don't Rush or like Pop Star by, you know, Justin Bieber. And then I will also tag sunny and nas so then they can just hit one button to repost it on theirs because i know they will also get a lot of views um they're team members of ours and then and then i'll post it you know so that's the actual process and i wanted to get specific because i think like the specificity helps you know because people oh i can now you know do it this is the exact process Totally, totally. And I think and that's I, so huge because something that you told remember, us when we were remember, launching, we're like, hold on one second. Every, just remember yeah, yeah. what you're going to say. So don't forget what you're going to say. For sure. For sure. But what I was just going to add is every single time I do that on my Instagram stories, I will do that. And then I'll put a countdown to our doors closing as well because Instagram allows you to put a countdown. And most of you listening will think Instagram is a joke. Why is this guy talking so much about Instagram? I'll tell you this. We have 1.2 million followers total. Across YouTube, email lists, and Instagram, like if you combine everything, all you need, all we need is 200 or 400 sales to do like 300,000 or more dollars. Instagram is where we'll see like a lot of those 300 sales. It's crazy how much, because it's the platform where they have the most amount of trust with you than even YouTube, than even email lists, than anything. Like, 
that's the platform where they have the most amount of trust with you and relationship building. So when we promote it there, it crushes. And those social proof ones, every single time I'll post them, a little bit later I'll have DMs like people have bought. And then I'll take their purchase receipts that they've bought, put them on my story, and just go like, oh, this other person enrolled in as well. And I don't hide their names at the top, by the way. People do that. I actually tag them. So then people can click on their stickers and message them. And people often do, hey, did you join Prophet JavaScript? Why did you join it? What's it like inside? And then they'll talk to that person and then enroll. Because if you have nothing to hide, you shouldn't be like crossing out people's names, right? Like you should allow them to communicate with each other and learn about it. It's all part of your, like, it's it's all marketing. So, uh, sorry, and then go ahead. No, that's totally fine. Yeah, and that, that's a huge point because when you're transparent, it's like people just build that trust furthermore. And by the way, your point on Instagram is huge because I remember um, we were making the call to action to to this podcast, right, from your Instagram, and you're like, bro, like, uh, no one's gonna no one's gonna hit the type form or whatever. Yeah. And then we got a couple of responses, and we we're all hyped because we we're like, oh my god, dude, like people are watching, people are listening, right? So yeah. even when you have those call to actions. On Instagram, it's super powerful because since, like you mentioned, it's crazy powerful, dude. That one story I made with you, one story led to sixteen applicants or something. Yeah, yeah, and we're just like, dude, that has a lot of power, you know? Because we we literally thought it was gonna be like, it's probably just gonna be like zero, like no one's gonna respond. Yeah, Yeah. we'll see what happens. Right, that's my attitude always. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, bro, probably gonna get like negative responses, bro. (laughs) Negative. Um, But the point I was going to say, which is so huge in terms of the tactics and the strategy was the tagging. Because I remember when we were starting the challenge, you're like, yo, guys, every single story post you make, you tag Sonny, you tag Nas, you tag me, you tag Frankie, you tag Aaron, so that everyone's leveraging everyone else's audiences. You know, there's a cool story. It's super easy to just post it in there. We don't have to worry about having like the cameraman. Like everyone is the cameraman basically with the stories and the yeah, posts yeah, and making yeah. these cool things. Yeah. So I think that's so huge because it facilitates <laughs> the whole group <laughs> being able to, you know, leverage their own audiences there. Yeah, it really, really does because, yeah, you have – if you recorded the story or like you don't have to use my phone and my Instagram to record the story, right? You could just record your own story, just tag me. And then anybody, and then all I do is I just keep reposting all your guys' stories and now my story looks great. It's all on my channel. Why? I And for most people, this strategy won't work because most people don't have multiple people. Most people don't know how to actually use Instagram stories. Most people's friends around them definitely don't know how to use Instagram stories. And another reason why it worked for us is like Sunny and Nas are a big part of Clever Programmer and they have bigger followings than people that know them. And I think at this point, even Frankie and Aaron have somewhat of a following on Instagram. Not too much because they don't engage with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think, that, I don't know. But like them, <laughs> but yeah, when we would tag each other and them reposting it, like I do think it generated a lot of uh, sales and yeah, a lot of revenue from from that. Too. But not only that, it allows 
basically everyone that's being involved to grow their own audience, right? Like I wasn't even posting that much and I was just starting to get followers here and there. And I was like, oh my God, dude, like that's, that's pretty crazy. You know, like I'm not even posting, but you guys are tagging me and people are like, oh man, like who's this? Or I would randomly pop out on the story. But by building each other's audiences that way, it's like future leverage as well. So that in the event that you are able to do that, where you leverage someone else's audience, it's just like this upward spiral of being able to leverage the audience and build it up over time. Do you know why Team 10 is called Team 10? Was it you who told me this? I think it was me. Now, I, I, I'm i not 100% sure if that's why, but that's what I had heard. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but, that's because they give just and just as clear for everybody, but they apparently have the Team 10 is the house with, I think, Jake Paul, Logan Paul's brother and his whole team. And they basically ha- um, have each other build out their followings but then make 10% commission from it forever, Team 10. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't know exactly how accurate the 10% commission is, but I think the cool thing is the leveraging of the audience because if you're creating content together, right, like you have your vlog and then Aaron pops out, but he also has his vlog or whatever that happens, like having those people, those content creators in there, it's it's, it's like instead of having to go pay an influencer, you just have your influencer buddy give you an extra shout out or whatever yep. who has way bigger following because you're helping them build a following. And it's just like this crazy, massive, yeah. like it's not one person building an audience, it's 10 people building an audience. And, yeah, and all within the same brand. So it actually has a lot more trust than even sometimes an outside influencer. That's a good point because that's probably, like that is the brand, right? It's the Team 10, so they're able to do that, right? So in CP, you've been able to do that with Sunny, with Nas. Since everyone's inside of that umbrella of a brand, now it's like just promoting each other. is just promoting the brand itself. It's building that trust. It's being able to just get the audience even more engaged. Exactly. That's right. Dude, huge. That's huge. All right, so we went a little off topic. Let me bring it back. No, We're talking good. about Feast and Famine, the first year. 2017 when you started with clever programmer what was it like actually i want to jump over to when did you transition away from the feast and famine model and what did you go into um so i mean the feast and famine business model stayed for a really long time it's not there that much now but we're Mm -hmm. still kind of dependent on launches but basically 2017 we that was the year we did about two hundred thousand, and then next year we did about three hundred thousand. But I think, man, I don't know if we added an evergreen funnel in twenty eighteen. I can't. I think we might have. So evergreen funnel is just basically like something that makes sales for you kind of automated, right, on a regular basis, like a regular business. And we added that, I think, mid in March or something like that of 2018. And I think that was one of the key things that took us to doing 300,000 because it was the evergreen funnel and then along with like our regular launches. So, you know, we would launch and keep our doors open for just a little bit. So in 2017, imagine like, you know, what's that brand that's built on hype that kills it? Supreme. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? And they drop their merch every, like, tiny bit. How did It's a billion-dollar-plus brand. Mm-hmm. The hype actually has real value. Like, the hype actually, like, they did 
they had like scientists come in and create these like crazy studies and they actually show how much like hype is not this fake intangible thing most people think it's a very real thing and it has a real freaking value and so that's why when supreme would drop their thing through like a tweet for two minutes at a time it just gets sold out and then they're just vanished right and you missed it you missed it and it's gone so they had this way of creating a hype and that's kind of like in 2017 all the launches were like that it would be like doors open for like five days six days and it's just gone like no more you can't go to my website to buy the product if you go to my website it just says wait list you know the product is closed Mm -hmm. but in 2018 we built out the evergreen funnel so then it would make automated sales and kind of like doors were always open um and yeah so did you try to implement anything into the evergreen that might have simulated that hype because right once you have something out there that's just open forever you kind of you're missing out on what you just talked about which is so crucial the hype so was there anything that you tried to maybe add to it that brought a sense of urgency a sense of build-up or anything like that it was in 2018 the evergreen funnel that we put together had like a deadline funnel on it um and that's a software you you guys can use as well but basically it just it essentially if you forget about the complexity of how it works effectively how it works is everybody is just going through their own timeline so instead of like you know from july 1st to july 7th seven days to join the course it's just like no matter who joined at whatever time they're going through their own timeline deadline of seven days so say you just joined on like you joined my email list on march 23rd it's like Mm -hmm. the doors to this course are closing march 30th it would auto adjust to you and then you would get an automated email sequence just for you and yeah so you just have everything customized to you and yeah so that that was the thing that actually built the hype and urgency yeah yeah, because there's something to be said to, to to talk about hype and urgency, you know, when it's like a live engaged audience, similar to what's happening now with PWJ, right? But it's pretty interesting that they're still you're still able to build some of that, although I probably would argue it's not as as intense as if it were like, you know, this whole group challenge type of thing. But I think that's super important that you're able to put that into you know, the evergreen funnel or wherever else you need to sell any product. Because those two things, I think, go back to those two fundamental things we Just talked put about, your gain which is a little bit lower. What's up? Just put your gain a little bit lower. Gotcha. Uh, speak. Is that better? Is that better? Yeah, that's better. All right. My bad. No, no, it's <laughs> I'm <okay>. getting too <laughs> excited. <laughs> no, no, no. You're fine. It's just I, I had given you the wrong like specs. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to point out that I think it's super important that you're able to bring in that urgency, the hype into something that's evergreen because very often people think like that might get lost, but it's something that they want to keep. So I just think that's super crucial. Yeah. And I'm curious, 2018, you know, uh, was when you started to transition to the evergreen and implement that. Were you still cranking out new courses or were you selling old ones that you already had? Twenty eighteen. Yeah, there um I I must have cranked out a bunch of courses. I know in twenty nineteen I kinda lost my mind with new courses. 
<laughs> yeah, and, th- and that's what I want to lead towards. So I guess in the end, before 2019, when you had that pivotal moment, how many courses had you built up? Because I, I remember we were talking before and you're like, man, dude, like there's a big shift in the business Yeah. when you went from all these courses to just one flagship product. But before yeah. that, like what did you have to go through to learn that and realize that? Yeah, so... 2019, I think, was the year we made the most amount of courses. And I think 2018, um, honestly, 2018 was a weird year. It was like, it was the year where the fame hit me. I had already moved to California. I left Chicago because I used to work out of the like 400 square feet, tiny place, you know, sleeping under a desk oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes. And I had come to United States with my good friend Mustafa, or uh, not United States, what the hell am I saying? California, LA. And we moved to Hollywood at like end of 2017. And so 2018 was, we had the product out profitable programmer. So 2018, I actually think we didn't build another product at all. Um, 2018 was in a weird way, a lazy year, but it was just focused on, I was like learning. I came to fame too fast and it got to my head. So it was the year where I felt like I was like a rapper, you know, like I had all the freedom to do whatever I want. I could buy anything I want from Amazon, (laughs) you know, like it was just like my dream come true. I was like living in Hollywood in this like cool apartment I was dating a bunch of girls. I um, I would like party. I was not partying so much. Like I was still putting in a lot of work. But I would say that my work went from, let's say, 100 hours a week to like maybe 20 hours a week. And I was like really focused on like just everybody, who, every mentor and everybody was just like work on your business, not in your business. And I'm like, yeah, like that sounds, that's what I need to do. Like on my business, like what am I doing here? Like, you know, f- forget responding. To, like it was just so much of just like on fake entrepreneurial, like bullshit. And like literally I would be like writing an email in the middle of my email. I'm like work on my business. Like, so I would just stop writing the email um, I pretty much like I would try, I traveled a lot in 2018. I just made a few videos in the entire year on my YouTube channel. I paid for a lot of mentorship. If I had to kind of like psychologically break it down, it was like, I wanted to work as little as possible, pay a fuck ton of money to mentors to find some kind of like magic pill that doubled my business. I was like, yeah, just really looking for that the whole year. And what was that moment that that switched for you? Because that's obviously not where you're at right now, right? Like now you're putting in so much time into Clever Programmer because you're seeing the impact. You're loving that. So take us back to that moment where you're like, maybe it's not about the four-hour work week and it's about the impact and the legacy you can build. Yeah, so that... So 2018, I had my friend Mustafa and another person, and we were actually living in a tiny place, uh, you know, in, in Hollywood. It was a fancy apartment, but we were all living there, and we lived three, 
in in a 700 square foot place seven seven or eight hundred foot uh square foot place and one bedroom and we'd all live there work from there every single day but in 2018 like everything kind of fell apart like we all stopped working together and then I kind of got back onto my own. And by the end of the year, I was neglecting my remote team a lot. So I wouldn't get called uh, with my, you know, who's essentially our chief operating officer now, like Rachel or, you know, our executive assistant or whatever. Like no, nobody really has a title for her because she does so much. But she started as a virtual assistant at the time. And Rachel is just like this most amazing human being on the planet. And I was like neglecting her and would never get on a call with her because I would just keep thinking work on the business, like on the business, like the less amount of human communication, the least amount of human communication you can have or anything to do with your business is the way to go. Like That's what I heard from every mentor. That's what you're supposed to do. And so I was like not getting on any calls with her. We had another person on our team, Dennis at the time. I was like neglecting him, not getting on any calls with him. Um, like I was just treating everybody really poorly. Like it was just crazy how much neglect. Like I would never show up to any meetings. There was nothing. No calls, never reply to messages. They'd be like, hey, like a two paragraph message. They're talking to me about my business and I had the fucking audacity to not respond for months. And they would keep following wow. up. It was almost like they were my maids, you know? Mm -hmm. But it, it's, <clears throat> so it's just disgusting to even think about it and like mention it. And I was just like, I was, essentially by the end of the year, I started to lose everybody on the team. Like everybody was like, you know, Dennis was like, all right, bro, peace out. Like I'm out. Like he left the team. We had a bunch of other people like leave the team. And, by the end and like start of 2019, I remember I went to Grant Cardone's uh, 10X conference, 10X in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> With the uh, little inside joke. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Shout out to Nas. So <laughs> we, I went to the conference with my friend Tenzin, and at the 10X conference, I remember. I was there and I was like, Tenzin, I think the last person on my team, I think I'm about to lose them as well. And it got so bad, dude. The neglect got so bad that every single credit card um, was like maxed out at that time. So my like actual website where I was hosting the business Clever Programmer, like that went completely down and I wouldn't like fix it. Wow. So it just said like when you type in Clever Programmer, it was just like the site is down right now. Um, pro the clients, when they would like, they were, they were probably going to uh, access the homework. They probably couldn't get to it. Right. Like it was just, if you can just imagine your garbage in your house, just building up, building up, but then you don't actually ever throw the garbage out. You just take it and you just put it in one room mm -hmm. and you just keep doing that for like a whole year. Right. Imagine how the reek the smell that your house would be reeking of like after a year. <clears throat> and it was like that. Our, I remember our website went down. Um, our customers were like complaining about problems. There were so many issues. And I remember in January, 
it was, yo, even Rachel is about to leave at the 10X conference, I remember. And I, that was the moment that I got on a conversation with her. And I was like, I kind of had like tears coming down my eyes. And I was just like, I fucking see the error in my ways. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, just give me one chance. And I'm like, I'll try to turn it around. But if you could just please like put your heart in it and just give me the benefit of the doubt and just give me one last chance. And she pretty much had enough of it. And she just told me, she's like, if you don't get your act straight, like this is it, I'm out. And then you can just handle the business on your own. And I remember if she had left, like everything would have just fallen apart at that time. Like so everything would have just fallen apart. I remember 10, and then I was like, shit, Tenzin, I need to 10X my game. So <laughs> I was, I, that conference, I remember I was like, I kind of something just cracked in my skull. Like it was at that conference that in two or three days, I ended up creating a whole product called Earn 1K with Python. We made it super quickly. I started a 30-day video challenge where I didn't miss a single day of like making content and video. And we just shot so much content. It was crazy. Like we came back with probably 30, 40 hours of like incredible content. And Tenzin helped me so much, dude. Like I would not have done some of the things I've done without my friend Tenzin. So we came back. I had a product ready to go. I had like written an email launch sequence. I wrote the entire sequence for E1K. I um, made a bunch of videos that went beforehand. And then like that was just like, I just came back and was like, go, motherfucker. Like it was, it was just go time. And I came back right around that time. Frankie and Aaron were like, hey, you know, Frank Aaron came to me. And was like, yo, you know, I'm a software developer and like, I can't, uh, I can't get a job anywhere. <laughs> like I, he had this internship and he's like, you know, I applied to like 40, 50 places. He's smart as fuck. I'm sure he would have gotten a job somewhere, but he probably just didn't know like the right interviewing skills or whatever. Right. But I remember he came to me and he's like, you know, I've been following you and he knew about RSD and personal development. And that's kind of how we met. And he's like, you know, I would love for an opportunity to work here. Um, I was like, yeah, bro, like, let's go. The launch starts tomorrow. And I remember right around the same time, Frankie had come to me too. And he was like, you know, Frankie was like, you know, my skills are, I sell cars, um, used cars. And I'm like, okay, are you good at them? And he was like, yeah, I'm okay at them. I'm like, how much do you do like per week? Like how much do you sell per week? And I don't know how much he sells, but it wasn't that much, you know? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, you're fucking hired. And I was like, guys, the launch starts tomorrow. So I'm like, you know, show in for a couple of days and just put in the work and we'll see how, what happens. So they came in and then I remember we just all went hard on the E1K launch. And then that launch at the start of 2019, like cleared like 80 grand. And we were like going crazy. We we're like, whoa. And we were the customer support. We were fucking everything. We were having meetings with Rachel again, like every single day. We brought the website back up, you know. Like, we apologized to everybody on the team, and we're like, and that was the year where I made the commitment. I'm like, F I'm not getting any mentorship. I'm almost doing no traveling. I'm just going to shut the fuck up and work, work, work for the entire year. I'm like, this is the year where I want to look back and go, 
I don't know if I did many smart things, but I worked. I just wanted to develop the muscle of working in my business again and like never let it go. And so, yeah, that was that was 2019. Dude, that's that is a crazy story, man. I mean, sometimes we just need that smack in the face that kind of humbles you again and makes you realize that what you're doing is not the right thing. So you got to change it. But that's crazy. That was guys. This is your host, Rafa Kazi, and I'm here with Daniel Safer. All right. So let's just pick it up exactly where we left it off from. So I know you guys are still listening to the same podcast, but we're just going to do a quick recap and then just continue from where we left off. So what was happening, uh, Daniel? Exactly. So so we're taking everyone through the journey of where you basically got started online. And uh, if I remember correctly, we started where you talked about the first product that you launched, I think was a $47 offer. You woke up January 1st and you had one sale and that kicked off your journey for your first year where I think you ended up having about three different kickoffs of different, uh, maybe two different courses you said you had, but yeah. you're able to accumulate around 150000 your first year. Yeah. Was that? Then the second year, you kept on going through the same business model, but you personally were kind of taking the backseat on your business. You weren't really trying to or, – or you said you were trying to work a lot on your business instead of in your business. So you felt like maybe it fell off track and your, your business was still able to grow, but you felt like maybe you as a person weren't growing. Yeah. And then finally, we got to the Grand Cardone Conference. That was a very pivotal moment. You You were very open and transparent and vulnerable with us to like – how that was a moment where you felt, even you mentioned like you felt a little bit disgusted with how you were acting. And yeah. from then on, you decided to change things. You know, you hit up Rachel again, you started getting in contact with her. That's when Frankie and Aaron hopped on. And that's when sounds like CP started to take a completely new direction for you. Yeah, 100%. So I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask next was, what were some of the actual things that you started to do different with this new perspective that you had of like, all right, now it's about digging in deep and working with the team. Yep. So get, so from new perspective, just give me one second. Okay. Sure. So things I was trying to try so I could have like constant communication with my team. Cause I felt like that was a huge part of everything because in 2017 2018 i mean the things that we didn't touch too much on is like basically the culture and how big that part was and i didn't want my team members leaving so one of the things that i was like got very kind of crazy about that we're gonna do it was getting on calls with team members and you know that's even even something better than team meetings, which was like just getting on one on one calls. So in 2019, that was one thing that was really important, just getting on one on one calls with people very frequently. And then the other thing was, you know, of course, hiring people that were part like that were in person and that were just fully committed to clever programmer and they were coming in pretty much every day. Gotcha. How did you go about setting the one-on-ones? Were they just like daily, weekly, and how big was the team then that you were able to scale the one-on-ones to? Um, so the one-on-ones, I try to do as much as I could. 
And whether that meant taking, you know, walking with Frankie to Starbucks and going there and Aaron and, you know, and then having calls with Rachel, honestly, the more you can do it, the better, like the often you can do it, the better. So I feel that for our team, it was, if I, I needed, I was trying to do it almost daily, but definitely I would have this mental radar where every week or two weeks I would go by without somebody getting on a one-on-one call. They just started to feel neglected on the team. Their morale would go down. Their work output and effectiveness would just like go down completely. Versus when they would get on a one-on-one, they would be like just 10xing their performance and everything, you know? Yeah, it was just like you were able to set that clear path for them or help them set it for themselves so that they could start to move forward. And it wasn't like this, oh, where'd I go? And I guess that's where that feeling of neglect comes from, right? Yeah. Got you. And was there anything else that maybe you looked into as resources to try to build this culture? Or were you just kind of trying things out, seeing what's working, seeing what doesn't working, and then figured out that you just had to stay in constant communication? A lot of hard lessons losing really great team members. I mean, I don't recommend experiencing that. I recommend it's better probably, it would have been better if I had just learned it through a book or something. But a lot of it was just through experience. But what I will tell you is there were a few resources. So one, right around 2019, I got in a relationship with Amberly. You know, she runs Sugar Shaw on YouTube and does her own fitness workouts and everything like that. And she, I learned a lot about communication from her and just being clear about everything and just having, I'll just give you a silly example, right? Like the other day, my oldest brother sent me a message and he said, you know, you are absolutely crushing it on YouTube. I just looked at your video. It's absolutely amazing what you're doing. My normal response, I'm a male, I grew up with two brothers, you know, we grew up like fighting and yelling at each other and like that's kind of how a normal, you know, like, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, we're like best friends, but when they say that, I would just respond with like a, you know, like, thanks, cool. like with a punch, yeah. yeah, punching emoji or just be like, cool, bro. Mm -hmm. But I remember sending him a reply and I was like, I'm like, bro, thank you so much. I really appreciate your words. And because you're my older brother, I genuinely look for your validation. So you acknowledging me and appreciating me makes me feel so good and valued. Mm -hmm. Right? That's a different level of communication. That's something that in the past used to make me cringe. I'm like, oh my God, why do I have to be so obvious? Like, but you have to over communicate your feelings you have to over communicate what you um did you cut off there for a second by the way i did cut off there for a second but okay you're good so you kind of have to feel like over communicate what you're experiencing with somebody and how they're making you feel and so one th part one of my resources was amberly and how strong commitment is and value is and integrity is so just committing to my team members and just being there consistently and forever. Second, <clears throat> which I also learned from her and like the team members, 
stability of emotions over a long period of time. So for example, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm very strong in how I think. I go through anger a lot and I have a lot of emotions. Even if, when you hear me speak in person, I'm very passionate. I'm like, what the f like, you know, everything is like, the fuck, Kingston? Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> I'm passionate about yeah. everything. And so what happens with that is, okay, it's okay. I can be very passionate. But what if we're working together and one day I feel like something, you know, a team member did sucked. And then I'm just like so verbose and in their face about it, right? Sure, the next day I can be like loving what they're doing and I'm like, oh, bro, this is crazy. Oh, let's go. This is the best thing I've ever seen. But they're still not going to remember. They're still not going to forget the, the thing that made them feel really hurt, right? Because they're like looking for my approval. And so... That was a really hard thing to realize, okay, what if I can give you all my positive highs, but just take away all my lows and me going, Why, you're not working hard enough, like random things that were, that felt like I, I wanted control or I wanted something, you know, oh my God, like Clever Programmer is my baby, like you're fucking it up. All that stuff needed to be, normalized i remember i asked for mentorship from jay levin and he is a he's the founder of like la weekly magazine now he runs a non-profit uh, that's actually in 10 percent of all schools in the united states so his program is like very spread out and he was telling me he's like you can't have all these upside down ups and downs you need to be like water with your team mm -hmm. over a very long period of time and that gives the work environment needs to be an amazing place for people to work it needs to be a place where they can feel cared for and loved and appreciated and seen challenged but it has to be like they shouldn't feel like they're going to lose their jobs they shouldn't feel the crazy ups and downs that was all those things were really hard the constant communication and then and often people you know even like my middle brother will cost love him to death but like oftentimes people misunderstand being like water with like you're not passionate or you don't care mm -hmm. you know but that's what just makes us who we are you know i'm like that too i used to be like that's what makes me me you know i'm passionate but no, I just wasn't taught proper leadership and leaders don't panic after every second and they don't have these like crazy because when you're third party, when you have a camera pointed at us, it just looks like I'm being a little bitch. I'm throwing temper tantrums and it's not a good look. You feel like, oh my God, I told them, but what are they going to say? You know, they're working with you and they're scared that they're going to lose their job. So there's, there's nothing powerful about it it's it's embarrassing it's disgusting and you just have to own it and you have to like work on it and just be like you would be a phenomenal leader you're very you. <laughs> you and you're you're passionate and you're very driven but not a single time do you say anything that ever like hurt somebody or whatever and people always always they remember that 
So, yeah, genuinely, bro. Like you would be a, you would be a phenomenal leader. I appreciate that, man. And I mean, I, I think that last point is so true because it, it's um, I don't know what they call it, but even Amberly has talked about a lot where, you know, before when like she would read the comments, it's like there's so many great comments and there's just like that one bad comment that would stick out. And it sounds like you're saying the same thing, which makes sense, which is when you're interacting with people, there could, if there's a lot of highs and lows, they're probably just mostly going to remember the lows and focus on the lows. And that's what's going to kind of stay with them from that experience with you. Yeah, that's true. Dude, that is so huge. So, I mean, it's so cool that, you know, you were able to learn so much from your partner, Amberly. You know, it sounds like you're able to develop a lot of empathy with her, a lot of more open, transparent communication that has helped you in your business, in your personal relationships. It also sounds like, you know, that mentorship advice of just, Actually, I'm, I'm more curious on that because there have been very often, even though you know, you're complimenting me, that I, saying that like I don't say bad things or yell or anything like that, but I mean it happens. <laughs> but what have and you're you're still able to? I mean, like I still I'm not nice all the time, right? right. But what I wanted to ask was. How did you anchor yourself or how did you ground yourself back to being like water, right? Was there just like a reminder you had to give yourself? Was it like this instantaneous thing you were able to change? What was that like for you to be able to, you know, not have these emotional spikes up and downs when you started to run the business and communicate with your team? I think being just really being fast with the decisions and slow with people. I remember 2019, there was, there was this in the middle of the year, and I, like Aaron and I, we were just having so many communication problems, and I just felt like he kept misunderstanding what I was saying. He always felt misunderstood, and it was a time where we were going to be like, okay, I think we're just going to have to go separate ways and really not work together. And I remember I got really, you know, so I got really worked up on it. And your, I'm sorry, your question was what? So my question was, was there anything that you did specifically to ground you back to not have those spikes? Right. I think honestly what I started doing is one, I would, anytime I got an emotional like felt very strong emotionally angry or like, what the fuck is this person doing? Like they need to get their shit to step away from it. Like literally step away from it before I say those, because I've done it so many times and I've seen people lose respect for me. I've seen an experience. They lose morale. I've seen an experience like them quitting the team. So cause I've had a lot of experience with it, when I would be about to say something, I would see myself, catch myself, and then stop and kind of not say it. But that's a Band-Aid solution. I think the real solution is really developing a better understanding for why the other person is the way they are. So I remember I was like in the in the Grove Mall in, you know, in LA, and I was with Amberly, and I was like, you know, I just, I don't think I can work with this guy. Like, I just don't see myself being able to work with Aaron. Like, there's too much, like, emotional baggage. I feel like I have to deal with it. I can't. I'm 
I'm all, I already have my emotional baggage. I already have to do so many of my own things. Like I want to work with somebody. I just want to be able to tell them what to do. They just do it. You know, like why do I have to have a two hour long conversation every time to just fix his mindset and then go and like we go and work together. But that was a conversation I had and that was the week where I was like, man, I don't know. We might just have to go separate ways. But that same week I decided I was going to read a book called, um, uh, I, I picked up a book called How Successful People Lead by Maxwell, Maxwell, John C. Maxwell. And I was, and literally my only purpose was to figure out maybe there was some golden gem in there that could teach me how to deal with, you know, whether it was Aaron or uh, Frankie or anybody on the team. And the, and there were a couple of like important things that I started to understand out of it. One, in order to be a good leader, you have to learn how to develop other people and to make them be able to actually outperform you. And that takes a lot of time and patience. A lot of time and patience. And it's kind of like raising a child, like really. Because it's, you're dealing with a human. And if you keep getting frustrated with children, after a little while, that tactic just doesn't work anymore. Even getting beat up doesn't work anymore. Like, for example, when I was uh, young, I went to a religious school, right? And they would just beat you up all the fucking time if you didn't do stuff. So I'm talking about, like, they would take out a plunger from the bathroom, lift up your jeans. You're nine years old. It's a fat plunger, right? And then the wooden plungers, and they would just like smash your shins. And you're nine and you're like going home with so many bruises on your legs. And if you explain it to your parents and then they call in and be like, yo, what are you doing to my kid? Like, stop that. Then they beat you up even more in ways where you don't get bruises so you can't come back home with that. And they tell your parents, of course, oh. it's never going to happen. And then they tell you, if you ever tell your parents again, we're going to do worse things to you. So... Yeah, you know, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, dude, no, no words, bro. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you, that happens to you, and you know, the crazy thing is, the worst part is the worst part is like psychological and physical trauma, right? Yeah, but if you give me psychological and physical trauma every day as a, a negative, not a de incentive, right? Negative and I forget what the term is called for that, but negative reinforcement. If you give me negative reinforcement and to such an extreme every day, by the time I was 11 years old or I just didn't care, I would go there and they would just what? I'm like, what are they going to do? Beat me up again? They would just beat me up. I was like, what else are they going to do? Give me a, like, you know, like threaten me. They would threaten me again, you know? And I just was like, I would just laugh at it. And then they would beat me up even more and I would keep laughing and then they would just stop. So, after a certain while, like even negative reinforcement doesn't work. And, you know, a lot of it, a lot of leadership, I feel like I learned even when I was like coaching kids in chess, I would have like groups of six to eight years old or actually five to eight year olds. Imagine 40 of them in one classroom for eight hours at a time uh, because it was like summer school. So... I had to coach so many young kids in chess and make them like get better at it. 
you learn patience so well because you just can't, if you get frustrated, like people quit. But I was like, damn, I've learned all these lessons and things, yet it's still hard to deal with one person on the team and their personality type. So I was like, okay, negative reinforcement can't just be the answer. I can't just be yelling at him. That's just not going to work. It didn't work with me. Mm -hmm. So, but that book kind of opened up a little bit of insight. And then I remember the second thing that actually made all the difference in the world was I was like, Jay, we need a, uh, what's it called? Um, a intervention, like, or just if we can all three meet and I could really use your help and guidance. And he guides people through things like these. And I remember I was like, Aaron, you know, I feel like there is a lot of good left between us, you know, in the, and I feel that let's figure out a way to, to give ourselves a communication tool so we can help each other and communicate with each other. Cause I feel like we have a lot of like a good bond, a lot of love for each other. We care for each other. We look out for each other. But I feel that if we, we can lose it all, if we just let our own insecurities get in the way. And I just asked him, I was like, this is kind of the last straw, but do you want to give this a try and see what happens? It's like, you know, fucking couples uh, counseling, like marriage counseling. But if people matter to you, I feel like you should be open to it, right? Because it shouldn't only be for like married people. And so he was like, okay, dude, let's do it. And I remember we went there and within five minutes, we were both fucking crying our eyes out and like hugging each other. Man, that's insane. Like that was a really crazy experience because I remember he Jay was Jay basically asked us a lot of things, but some of them were like, "Yo, what do you admire about Aaron, or what do you admire about Kazi?" And I remember. And he told me just like look in his eyes and say it. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, you know, that's gay. Like that's Dude. all these weird fucking thoughts. Mm -hmm. What were you going to say? Like that just totally meant because honestly, the eye to eye contact, dude, is insane, especially because, I mean, if, if you have your, your partner, you, you might already kind of be used to that. Even then it can be powerful. But when you do it with just like a friend yeah. or someone you see, like how often have you really just stared no. at them and then what you're saying there that's like the first experience i had was with improv and they're like hey you know it's like icebreaker getting to know each other yeah so the thing was stand in front of a person and stare at them in their eye for just like one whole minute yeah. and as you're doing it you're getting those thoughts you know like yeah. oh this is weird that's yeah. awkward but then after a while you just kind of like holy shit dude like this is a human being in front of me yeah and it's like some fucking bond just formed. But my bad, dude. Like, that just kind of yeah, threw yeah. me back to that. But, no, it's all but, good. So you are doing that with Aaron, and it was about what you admired in that person. That's powerful, man. Yeah, it was really. And when you do that with somebody, it's almost like how you made eye contact with the person, right, in the improv. How Jay told me to just genuinely say what I admired about him. And I remember saying, like, I was like, I told him, I'm like, bro, your heart is made out of gold. Like, it's the fucking, like, literally. And everything that I remembered that he was doing, I started listing it out. And, you know, the crazy thing was 
Just like when you see 100 comments and 99 are positive and one is negative, you focus on the one negative. I had realized that I had built this entire case mentally up against Aaron mm -hmm. by not focusing on the 99 good qualities, but maybe the one thing that I didn't like. Wow. And so when I started going through the things I admired about him, I was like, bro, you're coming here every day at 5 a.m., and literally, even though you're exhausted, like you get me in the car and you take my ass to the gym. I'm like, even though you're going through so much in your own personal life, you come here and you crush it. You get me on my game. You even like this guy would help me with calories and shit like that. And so I'm like, and we, we crushed it, you know, in the business, we grew so many things. And I realized, damn, you just miss things about people. And what Jay really showed us from that day when we left was we lacked actual communication tools to be able to express thoughts and communicate with each other. And the number one thing I got out of it is if you feel like that with somebody, go and actually seek a book or a mentor or like seek help in terms of literally have a third party mediator. Even if sometimes you feel like you're about to lose a friend. If you really care about that friend, instead of letting them just drift off, find something where you could have an open conversation or find somebody who knows how to get you both to have a safe, open conversation. Dude, that's that's huge, man, because because even then, it's not something a lot of people would try, like even when it comes to marriage counseling, just with like a friend. But for example, with myself, I caught myself very often, like if I'm trying to learn more about, let's say marketing, yeah. it's kind of obvious like, hey, go get a marketing book, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's some areas of my life where I'll kind of block myself from doing the same thing and trying to find those resources to learn. Like if it's in relationships, hey, well, go find someone that can maybe help you with that, right? Yes. If it's with business, go find mentors, go find a book, go read a book. But kind of what you're alluding to is open up that mindset of just be willing to learn about whatever it is you want to learn, and literally everything, by finding that third person, by finding that book, and looking for those extra resources to help you out. Yes. But, you know, it, it requires a lot of humility because most people always think they know the answer. And second, they see it as like, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't need to read a book. I don't need to sit in a, you know, meeting with some therapist to figure it out. Like, Everybody has a very strong way of looking at things, right? And they're very, like, kind of set in their ways. But what you said is gold, which is be very open to looking for help and vulnerability and all that stuff is king. I, and, you know, for those of you who are, like, crazy results-oriented, he also made, um, you know, then he also went on to make an ad and do things in the business that, have generated us over millions of dollars. So I'm not just some woo-woo dude who's like, yeah, just all about feeling good and like loving everybody and just like, you know, if this suck, like just you got to like look at the good side and maybe they don't put on their shoes. No, like this is somebody who's really valuable on the team, like actually as a, as a business asset, but there's a human side to them. And if you don't learn how different personality types communicate, look, if if you break down, okay, so let's say you want to make a lot of money, right, Daniel? Mm -hmm. What is money, bro? 
I would say it's just a, a tool, more like a resource, but I don't know. I'm, I'm curious where you want to take that. Right. So it's a tool. Mm-hmm. And all, in my opinion, all money is, is a lagging indicator of skill and value. Hmm. Could you expand on that? You work at Blue Origin, right? Yeah. They give you money. Mm-hmm. In order to be able to work at Blue Origin, one, you have to develop a skill. And two, you have to develop, deliver them value. Yeah. And now they pay you money. Mm-hmm. Money is just a lagging indicator of skill and value. If you can provide, if you can develop the skill and provide value to somebody, in exchange, they will give you money. Gotcha. So basically, it was a skill that took me, you know, let's just say my four years of my bachelor's degree to get. Then after that, it was like, all right, cool. Now I was able to develop a skill well enough to where some and value to where someone was willing to pay the six figures for that, right? Yep. Okay, that makes sense now. Yep. Um, I forget what we were talking about right before it. Uh, we were talking about the, the situation with Aaron, and then we were talking about uh, being open-minded to trying to learn from different resources. So, okay, then, so, 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 okay, got it. Perfect, perfect. Dude, thank you. That was awesome. So, m- if money is dependent on skill and value, then if you want to make more money, all you have to work on is figure out how to develop a bigger skill set and deliver more value. And I realized if everything is made up of that, right, like um, <clears throat> us running the business, is made up of me learning the skill of coding and then me providing value to the people for free on YouTube and on online. Um, us putting up all this content. So if everything is broken down into skill, it's my skill of marketing that helps make us money. It's our skill of video editing, our skill of coding, our skill of speaking, our skill of it's all these skills. When you combine them, you start to get these exponential results. Mm-hmm. Well, what's a skill in... What's another skill that's even probably more powerful than all of these? And if you look at, you know, how did Apple beat Microsoft? How did, um, at least in my opinion, it did, you know, they're like way more. They both have the same team. And But even, okay, let's just look at how did Microsoft become Microsoft? It wasn't just one person. How did Apple become Apple? It wasn't just one person. How did Elon Musk launch a rocket into a spaceship? It wasn't just because he read one freaking textbook and he did it, right? How did he create Tesla? It wasn't him doing it with his bare hands. And so when you look at it, the ultimate skill is really develop, it's finding the right people and then developing leaders, and if you look at it like an actual skill, I would argue that it's above everything. Because you have people, like, let's reverse engineer all the way from money. Mm-hmm. And, like, let's keep taking it a few layers back, right? So let's say money, right? Right above money is what's the... So in our launch, right, we just did, we did over a quarter million dollars right now. Yep. What's the step that people have to take right before we get money in our account? Actually, like the actual purchase? 
actual purchase, right? And what are they purchasing? They're purchasing the results that your course would bring them, right? Yeah, and or, just in I simple mean, terms, they're just course. purchasing my course, right? Yeah. So right above money, right before we get money, there's our course. Okay. That's the thing that's directly related to money, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the th- what's the thing above the product? The thing that gets them to purchase a product. The thing that comes before that is our like content that got them there. Okay. Right. So if, some sort of trust in you guys that built the relationship, right? Exactly. So if we focus on the thing that's closest to the money product for our whole life and never actually developed a relationship with people, do would we make a quarter million dollars in a week? No one would know what it is. No one would know what it is, right? So you can't just do the things that are the closest to money. Now, if so the the trust and the brand and like content, right? So let's just say YouTube and the Facebook and all that stuff. Now, what's above what happened before YouTube was created? What happens before that? Who what's the asset above that? So we have the product, that's one asset, then we have our channels, paid or organic, that's our other asset. What's the asset that comes even before that? I don't I don't know, man. The people. Okay. Right? Because if I didn't exist, would we have the YouTube channel? Mm. Right? I would argue not. If we didn't have the YouTube channel, would we have the product? If we didn't have the product, would we have the revenue? Probably not, right? So if you look at a layer of assets, we got the product, we got our marketing channels, and then above that, we got the humans. Yeah. The human is the biggest asset, right? When we got Nas, we got profit with JavaScript. Boom, million, extra million dollars. Got it. We got Sonny. He started focusing on the content marketing. Boom, another like some crazy number. Yeah, crazy number and everything like subs. Yep. The, the PWJ, everything. Yeah, right. I see what you're saying. That asset is literally above every other asset. Like it's... It's above everything because they can figure out the problems to your ads, right? They can figure out the problems to which marketing channel to go to. They can figure out, they can actually even put in the work of actual content marketing. They can figure out the product. So if you work on, if, if all I worked on was products, that would be powerful too. There's nothing wrong with that. I could also just work on YouTube and content. That's fine. But I want to work on the people and develop leaders. I think if you do that, that expands every other area of your business. You're smiling. I want to know why. Dude, it's just because that I feel like that was the pivotal thing for you 2019, yeah. right? Because, again, 2018 was like, all right, got to start building the business now. But then even then, 2019 was like, all right, I have to start building the people now. And that's what allowed you to take um, Clever Programmer to that next level. Because you said it was, what, like halfway into 2019 when you started to have that conversation and realization with Aaron? Yeah. That's insane. So then let's talk about those results. Let's let's see how, you know, since money's a lagging indicator, how has that changed? So your first year, uh, like the 150, almost 200K. Your second year was at the 300K. Then your third year where you had the big realization of, Let's start putting time into the, into the business, and not only that, let's start business. putting time, 
into the people. Yep. What, what did you end up doing that year? So we doubled our business in 2019. We did about 600 something thousand. 600 some thousand. And by then, were you trying to do as many launches as before or what was kind of the strategy there? Yeah, in 2019, we kind of went crazy with products. We just developed a lot of products like Earn 1K with Python. That was developed in a week. We developed um, Automate with Python AWP. We developed I even Python freelancing business crash course <laughs> that failed. Um bunch of like these one-off products a ton of these one-off products in in 2019 yeah so just bunch of gotcha gotcha we're good now yeah so i i guess that leads you to another big lesson that you learned which was you know going towards a flagship product which is you know pwj yeah but talk yeah, actually, let's let's start to take the conversation in that direction. Uh-huh. When did you stop making all these products and started focusing on just one product for the business? Yeah, I was noticing that it, there was something weird about having tons of products. We were making revenue every time we launched. And I... You know, a bunch of marketers that were around me, I would talk to them and they're like, yeah, you got to make just ton of products. You know, think about it. Like, why does Toyota make a new car every year? You know, like, why does like everybody? So I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, new products is where it's at. <clears throat> but I realized, I don't know, it was just in a weird way. It felt like it was just diluting the brand. And if you think about it, Every every effort we were doing was being halved. So this is a really weird thing. Like all our marketing effort was literally being cut in half every single time for any product. So if you have four different products. Oh, okay. So let's put it simply. Okay. Say you have one product. Now, by definition, if you if you spent the whole year working on just one product, of your focus in that product, right? Now let's just say you have two products and you're trying to push them both equally. By definition, can you have 100% focus on each product? No. Not at all? No. You would have how much focus on each product? 50-50. Exactly. So it's halved, right? Mm -hmm. Now what happens if you have four products? How much? Is it 100% in each or 25% in each? 25% each. Right. So now it's halved again. Yep. So <clears throat> logarithms, man. So it's half. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> um, so it's half every single time I feel like you put another product. Why? If you have one product and you get 10 case studies for it in a year or 20 case studies in a year, <clears throat> but now you have 20 case studies. And when you market it, all your marketing effort is all, all for it. But then if you have two products, now you have to get completely different case studies. You have to get case studies for both. Then you have to promote the case studies and all the stuff for both. Let's say with one product, all you need to do do is shoot one ad, right? With two products, you have to shoot two ads. You need to shoot two videos. If you need one launch email sequence for one product, 
for two products, you need two different launch sequences. I realized that when you have two products, here's what happens. Your, your um, results are halved and your work is doubled. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Because so, it's not just four times the work. It's 16 times the work. You know what I mean? When you have four products. When you have mm -hmm. two. So it's like everything gets doubled and halved in a negative way. So it's like imagine a bucket and when you have four products, now you have like four holes in that bucket and you just all that energy that was supposed to just drive towards one just being leaked out everywhere. And all the effort that you have to put in to now make sure that that bucket remains full is so much more. You got to like plug up four different holes at the same time. Yeah, and that is that's that's such a huge principle, not even just in business and product creation, like literally for everything. If you start to say yes to so many things and you try to pick up all these different things, you're going to be diminishing the amount of progress you can make in each one of those things, whether it could be like in something you're trying to progress in your life, yeah. your business, whatever that may be. So it sounds like when you had that realization, that's when oh, – did you decide to do PWJ or did you see that PWJ was probably doing the best or what made you focus on just – PWJ once you realize that your efforts and the team's efforts were getting diluted and the results were getting cut in half. Yeah, I decided so it was it was weird. It was <clears throat> I was sitting on Photoshop one day in I think it was like late October. I think it was right before Black Friday. Black Friday mm -hmm. I think was like the first week of November, right? Last year or 2019. <clears throat> So I was, I thought, okay, I, I put together this thumbnail and I was just learning Photoshop and I put together this thumbnail. It has my face with a JavaScript logo on it. And I was like, I was just playing with it. And then I remember just looking at it and I was like, holy shit. I just called up Nas and I was like, yo, what if we turn this into a product? <laughs> and so that's how I kind of got fascinated by the idea of like launching a product. But how we really got started on it and how we got started on actually working on the product was, you're right, the results. Because right around August, I went through what felt like depression to me. I, I don't know. I didn't go to a doctor, so I don't know if it was diagnosed as depression. But I can tell you what I was feeling in 2019, August, after spending, after I worked so goddamn hard that year and put my face in and just like killed myself almost. And what we had to show for it was not much like, it was weird. It was like we doubled the revenue, <clears throat> but we had nothing to show for it. Like we had negative $30,000 in the bank account. So you have put in three years of hard work and your entire life's work, and that's where you're at. And it meant that next month we would be completely out of business because all my credit lines were maxed out. So I got really depressed and I remember weird things would happen to me and I didn't know at the time why I would just be really unhappy. I would never want to get out of bed. I wanted to stay in bed as long as I possibly could. I just thought I'm like, mm, maybe I just want to watch more chess. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and 
I watch a fuck ton of chess, you know. And I was like, I would wake up and I would look in the mirror and I'd just be there. And all of a sudden, like, I would have tears streaming down my face. And I just was thinking, what is wrong with me? Like, what, the, what is going on with me? Why, do, why am I just crying randomly? Like, am I just being a little bitch? I'm like, man up, you know? Like, what the fuck? What are you doing? <laughs> Get your shit together. <laughs> and, it, and nothing really worked. I just felt sad, per, like, perpetually sad. So... I wanted to make sure that we're very results driven because otherwise we're going to be out of a business. And if we don't focus on profitability, you know, everything sounds nice, like the therapy sessions and the work with the team and all of this sounds nice, right? But what doesn't sound nice and what's my ultimate nightmare is not me losing my job or me losing whatever because I'll be fine. My biggest nightmare is like having to let any of my team members go because we couldn't like make the pay. That's like my worst fear. And I'm to the point where I'm like, if I have to go to a fucking mall to strip in the middle of the mall, just like naked to in order to get cash so we could have, I will do that. Like I will have no reservations to do whatever it takes. I will sell door-to-door shit. Um, and I'm in, you know, now we're in Beverly Hills, so we'll have good customers buying. <laughs> good tips, good tips. <laughs> So I will do whatever it takes. Mentally, I will not let anybody go on the team because we couldn't make the pay cut. So that is what was depressing to me, that we had developed this incredible team to do research and development and come up with ideas. And money to me is only about being able to research and try different ideas. That's it. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure we were results focused. And when we did launch our profit with JavaScript product in what we did was we wouldn't have switched to one product model if it wasn't bringing revenue. Cause I wanted to not live in theory. I wanted to live in the real world. So we launched our product for black Friday. And I remember it just did like 80 grand like that, like boom. And it was just like the, we put together a sales page in one day or two days. By the way, I'll tell you this. I remember Aaron was working on the sales page. He was working at WeWork and he was putting together a sales page. We were there and working our faces off and me and Frankie was there, were there too. And by the, and when we were done, we were exhausted. It was like 12 a.m. or 2 a.m. And we had worked for like 15 hours straight. We're just dead, right? Mm-hmm. So we're about to go leave. And Aaron just sitting on like a very uncomfortable, just wooden chair on like this very uncomfortable desk. And he just had his like crappy laptop, those same slow one that he always uses. <laughs> and he just like working on the sales page. And we're like, yo, bro, you... Um, you know, we should leave right now. He's like, no, no, no. I was like, I'm just going to work on this for now. I said, you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to work. It's 2 a.m., bro. So I'm like, okay, okay, all right, all right. So me and Frankie left, and then we went to go do other stuff. I mean, go to sleep, for example. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, and Frankie was sleeping in his car at that time. And then we come back the next day. And we walk in and, you know, Frankie and I are like about to go grab coffee. And then we're like, yo, Aaron, like, what's up, bro? And then we go grab coffee. And then we're like, oh, nice. I'm like, you got here early, huh? And Aaron looks at us and he's like, I never left. 
And he just goes back to the sales page. And it was like 10 a.m. I'm like, what? And I swear to God, the, we worked till 12 a.m. that same day. And then Frankie and I left. And we came back the next day and Aaron was still there working on the sales page. Jeez. I saw the sun go up and down twice. And I remember distinctly this guy just never moving from that one chair, that one seat. And in those two days, he put together the entire sales page for for our course, like Profit with JavaScript. And, you know, this page had a ton of copy, like copywriting, and it had so much. I mean, this was a phenomenal sales page. And we launched the product. But, th but this is the benefit of, you know, developing such strong team and putting in that time and effort, right? Like that people don't see three to six hours a day into your team members is a lot of time. But, you know, with people, you there's never enough time. The more you you put in, the better. People who have kids understand this. So we were like, okay. So we put together the sales pitch in two days. I shot some kind of VSL. We shot some ads. We wrote an email sequence. All this happened in a matter of three days. And then we just launched the product. We're just like, for Black Friday, let's just do a launch. So we did the launch for Black Friday, and we cleared about like 80,000. 80, Man, that's there's so much to unpack in that last thing. But first, dude, I just want to say, like, I truly appreciate you being super vulnerable and being open about the challenges that you face, you know, how you said you felt like you went to depression because that's that's reality, man. Like sometimes shit's just hard, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't feel like you're doing well or you just talk down to yourself and you become your your hardest critic and it's hard to get out of that, man. So I appreciate yeah. you sharing that part of your journey. And I also like how you always bring it back to results, right? Not just this woo-woo-y thing. You know, we talked a little bit about you have to be empathetic but you also still have to deliver results, right? You have yeah. to be understanding, but it's also about how can we actually bring results to the customers? How can we make the product even better? How can we actually generate sales? Yeah. And finally, that last thing, I think that's so cool because that's something that you and I talked about and you always tell me like, man, don't tell me the theory, show me the results, right? Because you're very result focused. Yeah. So I think that was so huge because I remember 2019, basically you were like Python, the Python dude, yeah. right? And it was all like, I just, what, like, Papa Python was your Instagram uh, handle for like a bit. I just remember something like that. I forgot yeah. what it was. Yeah. Um, but it's insane because I remember when I started seeing your JavaScript products, I was like, what the hell happened? And, like, you just started completely shifting that focus. But that's because you saw, you know, after Aaron and Frankie and the amazing team that that is clever programmer, just pulled those crazy Aaron the two nighter, not just the one nighter. Yeah. One all nighter. Yeah. You saw those results and you're like, this, this is it. This is the new direction and this is the flagship. Yeah. That is insane. So after that, it was just all focus on PWJ. Yeah. <clears throat> so the product really crushed and we 80k sell, uh, 80k launch you said right yeah so it was the 80k launch and then i remember in january and february we started running ads and ton of cold ads and we started working with like uh los's team is los hustle and by we, the way we're in 2020 now right january february 2020 yeah so pre-covid yeah is that cool 
I'll move on to 2020. No, yeah, yeah. Just I just wanted to make sure that that yes, we keep the timeline pre-COVID. Right. Yes. Um. So we move. So basically, we finished out the year pretty strong. 2020, uh, 2019, and then 2020, we started running ads for PWJ. We still did a launch for I think some other product in in February or something like that, like some AWP or some other product like that. And it, it did well, but what, but I has really started to like, think about like, I was looking at our ads and I was scaling up our ads every single day. I would sit down and go through and I started running it to cold audience. And when I said cold audience, what that means is like people who don't know you mm-hmm. and, um, start running ads to them because Facebook, what it allows you to do is, you know, run ads to people who are on your email list or people who have visited your website or if you are a digital marketer and you're listening to this people don't really understand ads like they just want to stay away from it as much as possible i feel like we should do a podcast on ads themselves at some point i'll write that down there's a lot of like mental blockage that happens and get listening to gary v a lot was that unlock for us in 2019 i remember frankie aaron and me sat down for 12 hours on one computer, just straight. And all we worked on was ads that day. All That was all we did. And we would, all we were doing that week was just like, we, we drove to Vegas and all we listened to was like Gary Vee. We listened to every and any single person talking about ads. We just consumed so much about ads and we were like, let's actually do something with ads. It was our first time. We launched one ad campaign, like one one ad and ad set that day fast forward to today that one ad set and one campaign that we had launched on about a $45,000 spend it has made us $350,000 wow so that was like a 6x roas yeah like insane roas yeah so yeah <clears throat> Ads are extremely powerful, but a simple way to think about it for a regular marketer who doesn't do them is here's the simplest way to think about it. If you send an email and you get, let's say, an 18% open rate on your email, if you learn how to do ads the right way, your message, because what is an email? Just a message you send out to people, right? You just want them to find out about that message. If 18% of the people on your email list find out about that message, if you can run ads to the same people on your email list, just imagine now you get a 78% email open rate because they're scrolling on their Facebook and boom, now they see your message. So if you don't see it in any other way, just see it in a way where in a very cost-effective way, you can guarantee a 78 to 82% open rate on your email. That's how I initially thought about it. Yeah, that's, that's crazy because you know a lot of marketers talk about how a lot of the money's in the follow-up and by ads you're basically doing a follow-up it's just establishing those extra touch points yeah. with a potential buyer or future customer so then it's it's crazy how you're able to scale that with ads but so then it sounds like pre-covid 2020 then that's what the next pivot point for your business was let's start to scale like now we have all our focus in one thing let's start to scale it up and that's where the pivotal point of Let's focus on ads then because that's the way that we can actually achieve that. Yep, exactly. 
And then as usual, COVID hit. So yep. talk about that, please. <laughs> yeah, so we were scaling our ads and we were scaling even on cold. We were getting a 2x ROAS and like return on ad spend. And, you know, we were spending 50000 and we made over 100000 in February. And I would just scale it up every single day. And I remember it was crazy because even our mentor was like, yo, on cold, 2x is like really hard. Most people, even if they can break even on cold, is like a massive win. Mm-hmm. So we were just crushing it. And <clears throat> then COVID hit. It could be th- some other stuff that's very possible, but it was too coincidental that as soon as COVID hit, boom, our ads like just stopped the same ones that were just crushing. We were just slaying on ads. It was like we would spend 15 grand and make 100 grand. It was just stupid how much we were crushing. COVID hits and then boom, we're just d- done like March by the time March or whatever, March and then uh, April came around, our ad spend was, our, we were just like sometimes not even profitable, sometimes break even or below break even, which was just unheard of for us since we had started ads. Yep. And so we pretty much just had to shut down ads because we're like, okay, now we need to have actual cash reserves. And we wanted to become just really intelligent with our one of the key things I know we didn't talk about, but I want to like address it. One of the key fundamental things that I learned coming out of that depression was in 2019 was just like learning from Sam Ovens. And I wanted to learn how to get all my numbers really tight and dialed in. No matter how good you are at business and no matter how much money you make, if you don't get your numbers, numbers like really dialed in and know them, you will get like destroyed in weird ways where in one year you can make 600,000 and just be like, yo, where's the money? There's like $0 left. So going into 2020, we became, we knew our numbers all the time. And when I say numbers, the one number I ask Rachel all the time is E-O-M-N-W question mark. We have this like internal language. And what that basically means is end of month. So E-O-M is end of month. Mm-hmm. And NW is net worth. So end of month net worth, like meaning how much net worth do we have available? How much money do we have available when the month ends? And I wanted to ask her worst case scenario. Let's also make a note to make like a one on finances. Because these are just- Oh yeah, dude, I'm writing that all this down. This is here incredible. While you're so um, damn, dude, you're an amazing co-host. Like this is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, so it was basically with Rachel, we were like, okay, we should have this language. And worst case scenario, what that means is you assume no income that you make. So for example, say right now you have 60,000 cash in bank and then you go, okay, what's going to be end of month net worth if I go at my current cash burn rate, meaning, uh, you know, however much you normally spend. So you spend right now personally like what, 3,000, 2,000 a month? Mm-hmm. Okay, which one? You you just said uh, yeah, three thousand. Okay, got it. So that's your cash burn rate, right? And I'm just gonna throw out a random number. Let's just say you have fifty k in the bank. Okay. So end of month net worth for you is like let's say for let's just say we were looking at August or something. Okay, or sorry, not August. Uh, the month after September, October. End of month net worth for you will be 47,000. 
Does that make sense? Worst case scenario where I don't bring in any money, right? Yes, exactly. Worst case scenario where you don't bring in, you never want to account for income. Expenses are a fucking fact. It's like God has made expenses. Like it's like just that's exactly taxes and death, right? (laughs) Exactly. Like taxes and death. Exactly. It's like you have to pay your rent. There's never going to be a time where you don't have to pay your rent or you don't have to. But income is like very variable. Like you could make, I mean, you could just get fired from your job. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like some weird stuff can happen and you always have to, if you if you plan in ways where you assume no income, you are your, your plan is like rock solid. Where I, How I used to plan was I'm like, okay, so we did a 150K launch. Now we're going to do another launch three months from now that's going to do 300K. I would assume that and have that in my projections. So I would spend money like I had it already, but never spend money based off of revenue projections. Only spend money based off of like actual cash in bank, what you have. Because uh, those are just hard lessons. Like it's not fun when you're running out of money. So I learned never have less than three to six month cash runway. And so for 2020, I was like, if we can just have a positive net worth of 50K or 100K in the entire year, like I am extremely, extremely happy, you know, but the rate that we're going right now, we're, we're going to, we're going to crush that goal. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's awesome insight, by the way. There are so many topics that I do want to deep dive, but it's just I'm trying to keep this focused on you know the zero to seven figures. So I'm writing all these down, bro. Like I've gotten at least five to seven topic ideas just from this podcast alone. Okay. But what I want to take it back to was, I mean, one that was an awesome lesson in finances in terms of how you're running for your business. But the second thing was, I just want to point out to the audience how amazing it is that clever programmer keeps on pivoting based off what you say which is results right for example you know it's like uh late 2019 you guys pivoted from you know kazi was the python guy to now we're selling javascript courses because it was getting results right then pre-covid you guys were scaling getting massive results and all of a sudden you know coincidentally with covid and the ads you guys weren't getting the same results but then you guys switched the sales message right instead of what it used to be before it's like hey do you lose your job because of of COVID? Like, are you looking for something else because of COVID? Then, you know, we got PWJ where we teach you how to become a freelancer, how to make your first dollar online, how to get your job. And I feel like these pivots yeah. in that you've that you facilitated for a clever programmer yeah. have just made it such a big deal for you to actually keep on progressing and keep moving forward. Yes. It's really like a extremely, I love what you said and highlighted. It's a living, breathing organism. People treat it with this long-term planning and a lot of the stuff is soulless. And I do feel like it's a very, very living, breathing thing. It's kind of like if you and I were boxing, you're going to throw punches at me. I can't have a plan three months in advance. When you throw a punch at my face, I have to maybe forget about the plan I had and duck out of the way. That's kind of like when we made uh, 600,000 and had negative 30 in the bank. We got punched Mm -hmm. in the fucking mouth because we had some kind of plan. We're like, oh shit, we have to learn how to duck. Otherwise you lose your eye, AKA you lose your teammates, you know, or like you can, 
you fall on the floor, you get a concussion, aka like lose every, like lose your business, you know, and then like have to start all over again. Like business, did I have a business? Oh, I don't know, I can't remember. <laughs> so you have to not only be good at attacking, but you have to be really good at defense because all I learned in the first few years was attack. But then, like, no great team doesn't have a great defense. Every soccer team, every basketball team have, like, incredible defense, right? And so knowing your numbers is, like, defense. That's, like, makes you so damn good. Like, you become division one fucking all-star team because now not only do you have a bunch of people who are great at attacking, but you have a bunch of people who just understand the numbers inside out and can... I mean, there's still a lot more to learn. Like, that's not the only, we're not done learning. But mm -hmm. I just, I really felt like that was just a very key component. Um, and then, yeah, you're right. In 2020, we switched over to JavaScript and you started going all in. And we dissolved, we just kind of let go of every other product. And just started focusing on this. And every video we would make, because I really thought about it, right? Like, if we make a hundred videos in a year, if there are four different products, each product only gets 25, the results get halved, the sales get halved. That's another thing I didn't mention. The sales also get halved because you get exponential results from one good product, mm -hmm. right? Like um, <clears throat> how many sales does Apple make from their iPhone versus like, let's say their freaking you know, uh, iPad or some other product. Like their iPhone probably makes the most amount of sales and then it's something mm -hmm. else. So a lot of Steve Jobs' decisions were, even if you look at his autobiography and listen to it, a lot of it is with him cutting off so many things, not doing so many things. So for us, it was like, what if we made it so we just had one product and that way if we make 100 videos in a year, they're all for that one product. And then it all works evergreen. Then everybody that talks about it in Reddit and everybody that's mentioning our courses through just organic and trust space, it's always just one thing, PWJ. What if in two, three, four, five years from now, the only thing they think when they think of us is like, is like JavaScript right? Or PWJ profit with JavaScript. That's the only thing that they anchor with us anytime they come across. So <clears throat> that's why we kind of wanted to go the route of one product. It gets the entire team's focus there as well. And everybody gets really behind it. Even internally, I've noticed that people start losing loyalty to products because there's so many different mm -hmm. products. The team can't get behind that. But when there's one product, you know, like Nas has so much loyalty to it and Sunny has so much loyalty to it and I have so much loyalty. And then like Junie and Isabel and the whole customer support team and the entire, you know, everybody just believes in it. And so there's a lot of amazing things that we kind of discovered. But here's what I'll also tell you. Short term, you make less money. You know, but it's a yeah. lot. <clears throat> Go ahead. And and uh, I think that kind of goes similar to like building a brand versus just selling what's hot, right? Yeah. Because if you're building that one product, you're building it over time, right? You're just not trying to focus on just hyping it up, selling, and then switching to something else. Yeah. It sounds very similar to building a brand. And like you said, it's something that in five years, 
people associate PWJ to clever programmer, right? Yes. In, the, in itself, the course kind of becomes like its own thing. Yeah. It becomes its own brand. Just like but Apple the, and iPhone. You know, iPhone is like its it, own brand. Exactly, exactly. Which, I mean, I can only imagine it was pretty hard because that made that, that means that you had to put those other projects, those other courses on the back burner. Really but, hard because I mean, you I, spent your I, whole I, life fucking making them. Yeah. And promoting yeah, that, them. <laughs> and launching them <laughs> time yeah. after time. It's just like you, you have three kids and you have to fucking send two to like, you uh, know. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, go live in the aunt's house, you know. We'll pick you up in a few years, maybe not. You know what I mean? Like, just give them up for adoption or something. It's ha- it's really hard. Yeah, and, and but that's the truth, man. Like, that's what allowed CP to explode since 2019 but it's right dude i mean those are those are your babies those are cp's babies you just like i mean in your case you probably had more like 10 children because you built so many damn courses and you're like all right well i got to focus on this one child your favorite child (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was just laughing the one that gets the most results (laughs) yeah yeah the child that gets the most results (laughs) the one that gets all the a's in class that's the one i'm gonna stick with (laughs) hell yeah bro it it was funny because it made me realize in 2018 I had multiple products and I also had multiple girlfriends. Mm. In 2019, I had one girlfriend and one product. Hey, there we go. Hey, parallels to life, man. Yeah, that's how it works. (laughs) Learned commitment, you know, in 2019. But just like, here's a good analogy, okay? If you're dating a bunch of girls at the same time, it's a lot of fun. It's way more exciting than dating one person at one time. Way more Mm. fun, way more exciting. Short term, just like having multiple products, it's way more exciting to have multiple products. You're always launching. You're always coming up with something new and hot. And short term, you have a lot of cash. But what happens is if you're diluting your attention between a bunch of different girlfriends, you can't really deeply grow with one person and have a, very, uh, have a lot of depth to that relationship. I feel like with products, a similar you can't have that depth and that strong branding with one product. So uh, how I feel like I've emotionally grown in a relationship with one person and you have to pick the right person, right? Mm -hmm. Just like you have to pick the right one product. If you pick some dumb shit, you're going to be in trouble both in personal life and business. So those are, I feel like the parallels to the short-term cash and having multiple, but the long term with one, I feel like is a lot more powerful. Yeah, I, I totally agree, man. And that is such a huge lesson that you had to learn there by just committing to it, right? Just committing to JavaScript, just sticking to it because of the initial results and then being able to see where it takes you. But I guess so now let's take it back to a couple numbers to kind of establish where we're at. So we're talking 2000. Uh, 17, 18, 19, you were able to double your business revenue, but 2019 was like, man, I feel like 2019 was the year for you, which I think you mentioned was just like, you're just going to work in the business. It's complete shift. You know, you had those two major pivots from you're actually going to focus on the people. You're going to build people. That's going to allow you to build an amazing product an amazing business. Then 2019, 2020 was when you focused on one thing and you started to scale. Yeah. Um, by the way, when did CP hit the seven figure mark? In 2020, August, 
Well, that's the yearly one, but like the total uh, seven figure. Oh, total was 2019, I think middle of the year at some point in 2019. And I have a video where we all like lost our minds and we're fucking screaming because we saw we were all there. The whole team was there and I hit refresh and we saw it go from, you know, one comma to like two commas. Yeah. Unlock. <laughs> it was like one million Whoa. something. <laughs> Like going crazy, screaming, zooming in, zooming out. So I'm glad that those memories are like kind of etched in stone. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So 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 with clever programmer, it took you like what was that? Three and a half years to hit your first seven figures. Three years. 2017, 2018. Two and a half, right? Two and a half okay. years. 2017, 2018, and then half of 2019. Gotcha. And then 2020 became the first year where you actually hit seven figures in less than a year, right? Yeah, we hit, yeah, yeah, we hit over, we broke a million dollars in like August. That was in August. So eight months months. in, dude. That is insane. That's insane. That's insane. But but that shows the power of these, these realizations you had of, You need to build the right team. Like you need to have the right people. You need to have the right communication with the right people. You need to make sure your business is aligned with one product and all the focus and energy go into one product. You need to learn the skill sets to be able to actually market and sell properly. And not only that, but being able to scale that product. And it sounds like it was 2020 where these things started to come together because that's when you just had insane results. And even then, just with this launch alone that we're still going through, we're – we're on track to literally well, – what are we on track to do right now? Do you happen to know those numbers? Um, we have done over a quarter million dollars in – Oh, shit. We already hit that? <laughs> oh. Bro, I, my bad. It's because I'm not at the house anymore. <laughs> no, no. It's <laughs> Which is insane because, dude, it, like that was the goal. Like starting off, I remember we're, we're outside at the Starbucks and you're, you're like – you're asking everyone, all right, bro, what should be the goal yeah. of this? Uh, what should be the goal of this? And Frankie and I, we set the highest numbers. We're like quarter of a million. And then everyone's like, nah, dude, that's, yeah. nah, I don't know if that's going to happen, dude. Right. I mean, it's like, it was just like a bullshit goal that we kind of all set up, you know, because there's been so many times, like I've set goals for like 600,000, like believed it and like did Tony Robbins incantations. And I was like, <laughs> we're going to make 600 fucking thousand dollars this much. <laughs> like I will not settle for anything less. Like, you start beating your chest. <laughs> but then you do like, you do 150 grand, you're like depressed. And I'm like, yeah, all matter. Like if you set your expectations wrong, you're going to be unhappy. Then it crushes team morale. Also, we're going to put in maximum effort anyway. Like I don't mm-hmm. care if my goal is higher, if my goal is low, I'm going to put in maximum effort anyway. So um, I just, I'm like, Personally, for me, everybody was like, we're going to do a quarter million. I'm like, if we do 7,000 in this launch, in this entire month, we will be lucky. So I was, I mean, I, I set myself up to win, you know, and then I just put in maximum work and then what happens, happens. And I had already with Rachel financially planned for a $7,000 launch. Mm-hmm. So I was like, we, we were financially ready for it. I knew that if we did a $7,000 launch, we would still have three months of cash runway for the business to run. And I was already planning like what our next move needs to be um for the next month but 
all of a sudden we just opened the doors and just Jesus Christ, like the craziest launch on the planet. Like I, I can't, I can't believe it when I look at the numbers and it's like quarter million, all almost pure profit. Like there's very little ads. So, you know, on 30, maybe 27 K ad spend. Yeah, so if you want to find out more details about that, we actually recorded an episode where we dive deep into those details, and we're going to record a part two where we close out all those details because we were in the middle of it when we recorded the first episode. So definitely check those out. But, man, dude, that has been an amazing journey of seeing behind the scenes of Clever Programmer. And I guess I think unless there's anything else you want to add to it, I would like to start to wrap this up by asking if you could start all over, you know, back to your very first launch with Clever Programmer, what would you do differently? Mm. I know there's so many lessons learned. There was just a lot of trials and tribulations that you had to go through, a lot of lessons that you had to learn by yourself, through mentors, whatever that may be. But if you could just focus on just the biggest thing that you would – I guess, do differently, or if you're able to talk with old Kazi, what would you advise him? Dude, to be honest, like, I don't know what really I would do differently. Like, I just, I really did give it my all, and it's crazy because I look at my older videos, and sometimes I'm like, they're better than my new videos. Like, what the <laughs> hell was I on? And I was completely alone, you know, so like from the scripting to the writing to the shooting to the video editing to like the thumbnail, posting it, sending out an email, like every single thing was just one man team. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. Like I feel like I gave it my all and I did it as intelligently as I could. Um, I always just did so much research and I kind of knew like what what was happening in the market that's yeah that's hard because i just feel like i i i feel like i did it in a really yeah like building the brand and focusing on that and focusing on the content rather than sales first was the right move because when you focus on brand, you get so much more. And we should do a podcast on brand marketing versus sales marketing or like content marketing versus sales marketing, like a podcast dedicated on that. But gotcha. I just feel that I focused on brand from the start. So that was good. The only things I would do slightly, like maybe add to what I was doing was like maybe I would. And because there didn't even TikTok didn't exist right back then. But I would mm -hmm. maybe look at things that were really leveraged like that and try to grow from them. But damn, I don't know, bro. I don't know. I feel like I would do a lot of the things in a very similar way to that I did. And it just takes that much like hard work. And, you know, like sometimes I've written 70, 70 page sales letters some of them I had to, I wrote 50 page sales letters that I had to throw away and never use again. 20 page oh. emails that like I realized later that didn't work. So I had to throw it like products I developed that I never sold and nobody even found out about. Like there's just so much failure and time that goes into it. But I feel like that's the real thing that most people are scared of. And 
you can't possibly get good at it without all those failures. If you think about an artist who can draw like crazy, amazing things, they have gone through way more failure than you have. They just fail so much and they get so damn good at it and they know every single nuance. With this same way, you know, I know every single nuance. I was talking with Frankie too and I was like, it's kind of crazy. If anything went wrong in like Clever Programmer, like it's like a mechanic that knows all the internal workings of a car down to the physics level, you know, like they can get under the car and they can like solve it. And so I really feel like that because I know under the hood how everything works in, in the car engine of my business. There's not a single place that I wouldn't know how to tweak when it comes to email, the open rates, the freaking click rates, the Facebook ads, what my CPM should be, what my ad spend should be, what's the average purchase conversion value we should be looking at, what is, um, you know, how much to spend on each click, what click-through rate on an ad is normal or not. On my YouTube videos, what's a good click-through rate or not? What's a good average view duration on a video? How does the YouTube algorithm work and how is it changing as we go into later years? What types of videos are crushing it when it comes to product and launches? Like, you know, there's just so many like little details in the dirt that are so damn important that you can't possibly learn without all this hard work. Even for you, like when you're running your ads, you have to run them to get good at them and understand them. You have to do the TikTok and go through countless, countless failure, you know, Um, just like all that, you know, all the businesses that you told me when we were talking personally and you're like, I failed them, Mm -hmm. which I don't agree. You failed. I just think you never stuck with them long enough. Um, So those lessons are important. They're going to play out for you in whatever you try to do in whatever business you try to run. Somebody else who's starting from scratch, even though on paper you guys might look the same, you both might have $0 in revenue of your new business, but you're like years beyond them. You just won't see it until cash comes in your bank. Then you'll believe it. But you're years and years beyond just because you had put in so much time to fail. I just feel like putting in the time to fail, setting really low expectations is key. My goal when I even started my business was in 2017, I want to fail five businesses. Why? Just because when I die, I don't want to have a regret. I want to be able to say I failed Mm -hmm. five businesses, I tried. But then anything above failure is a win. So then what happens? I'm in an emotionally happy mental state and then I want to just keep doing more and keep crushing more and then you just get on the high momentum that you talked about in your TikTok, which was awesome. Yeah. Positive momentum, negative momentum. So I don't really think I would do anything differently. Um, How hard I worked makes me nervous right now and anxious to think if I had to go there again. I don't know if I have it in me to fucking work. It was insane what I did. And like even, you know, sometimes you're like, you do something, you maybe have to work for a final paper and you studied so damn hard. Or maybe and you're like, how? Yeah, even at your job, <laughs> like you're developing, you know, you're developing this plugin and all this stuff. And you look back after weeks later or months later, and you're like, how the hell did I do that? Like, I can't even do that now, I think. So, yeah. 
I just, yeah, that's. Yeah. And, and that's, that's definitely a fair answer. You know, there's so many lessons learned. So actually let me switch up the answer in this way. Moving forward from today, from after this launch, what is probably going to be your single biggest focus? Because I understand, you know, like the past, you learned so much from that, that you probably wouldn't want to try to change anything because there's so much value in all those little nuances. Yeah. So looking forward, what do you think is going to be the big, Wait, wait, so moving, moving forward, what was, what do you see being the biggest focus? Because like I said, I, I understand looking back, there's so many things that you learned from that and you probably don't want to change that. So what is that going to look like for you, for clever programmer? What are you going to focus on? What's really exciting about this podcast is it's giving me so much clarity as I'm actually speaking. Awesome. So like regardless of even, hopefully somebody gets value out of it, you know, but. <laughs> no one listens. Yeah, zero. But like, I feel like the value is already done. Even if there literally nobody listened. There's always so many moving parts. Like what is truly the biggest thing to focus on? And honestly, if I had to really narrow it down, there's tons of things that I'm going to be doing a lot of them. But I think one of the really big things I can focus on now that we have some cash and some runway. I want I think that the best thing I could focus on is team. For me specifically that means one-on-one -on -one calls with almost every team member every week. Forever. Second, is looking for talent and just like being very aggressive, aggressively looking for talent, like <clears throat> going through interviews on a daily basis almost and developing better systems and processes to actually hire people. And maybe we should develop a system too. And sometimes I should go through an interview with them and maybe you should go and interview with them at some point. But yeah, just like a rigor, good process for getting incredible members on the team. I think that is the next biggest thing. Because if I really look back at it, Aaron and Frankie, when they came into the business, the business doubled. When Nas and Sonny came into the business, the business doubled again. So, you know, and it's not just Nas and Sonny. It's like Junie and Isabel and, you know, Stephanie and Don and it's like a whole lot of people that are extremely talented as they got into the team, the business doubled or tripled. Mm -hmm. So I want to focus on, I think if I just focus on that side of things and keeping everybody emotionally in the right place and like ready to crush it, I think that would be the biggest thing to focus on developing. That's leaders. awesome. Man. Yeah. Cause that, that goes back to, you know, that, that layers that you took it to, right? Sale, product, channel, building the trust, people, right? And it sounds like focusing on the people is what's giving you the most ROI since you had that pivotal moment with the Grant Cardone conference. And it looks like, I think, I mean, I think that's definitely something that is going to be worth it. And a huge, what was that, the the money indicator or the money's a financial or fi so money finance? Money is a lagging indicator of skill and value. Exactly. So as you're building the CP skill and value over time, it's just, I mean, you've been keeping up, 
2x growth rate per year for CP. This year, you probably passed the 2x. I mean, you're probably talking about maybe 5x potentially, even more. But that's because you're bringing in so many skilled people into the team. So that is such an awesome outlook to have, man. Yeah, because for me, it's the team that matters more than even, like, in a weird way, even more than Clever Programmer. Because hmm. if we have an amazing team, it doesn't matter what we go on to do in life. You know, most people are like, oh, I don't want to be, like, I don't want to be a programmer for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. But I uh, I am just, I'm humble and I'm appreciative of the opportunity I'm given by the world and the gods of algorithm, the YouTube algorithm and like all this, right? And I'm given this opportunity to be able to help people. So I want to keep doing that and not be ungrateful for it. At the same time, if I just focus all on the team, five years from now, if we want to pivot and start another business, with this team, we can actually do that and crush it. So the team to me is the ultimate asset and I'm really driven by like developing leaders. Man, that is awesome, man. I'm looking forward to, to seeing the team grow these next couple of years, man. But I guess to close it off, is there anything else you feel that we missed on your journey from zero to seven figures for clever programmer? I think that sums it up. Yeah. I think what's like two and a half hours of content. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see who listens to it. We should leave like a little Easter egg right now to see who listened to Say it. Potatoes. All the way DM us potatoes on Instagram. Yo, if you DM us potatoes Pota- on potato Instagram. Potato cookies. That's that's the DM. <laughs> potato cookies. <laughs> potato cookies. But if you do happen to be listening to this, um, it would be awesome if you could just take a screenshot if you're getting a lot of value. Actually, it might be worth adding what we're saying right now sometime inside the podcast in case you don't get that long. But if you do happen, take a screenshot. Tag us, Kazi. What's the Instagram handle? Um, at, cl- um, yeah, just do at clever Kazi for now, until we get the other one popping. So C L E V E R, and oftentimes people mistake my last name Q A Z I. There's no U, Q A Z I. So clever, Kazi, and um, yeah, that should be good. Awesome. Yeah. So go ahead, take the screenshot, tag us at Clever Cause, or feel free to tag me at D A Seifert. Seifert is S E Y F F E R T. Let us know. Send us the DM. Potato cookies is a secret password so that we know <laughs> that you actually got to the end. Yeah. Bro, what should we do if they send us potato cookies? That deserves that deserves something, man. Just, just jump on a call with them, like a video call. I'll I'll All do right. it. Yeah, just do it. I'm on a video call as soon as I see potato cookies. <laughs> you're gonna get so many potato cookies <laughs> <laughs> all right awesome kazi it was so awesome getting to talk to you man getting to see the whole journey of clever programmer and i'm just looking forward to these next podcasts because we got so many topics from just this podcast alone man yeah this is absolutely incredible all right thank you guys for listening this was another successful we'll s- episode that we did at rafa kazi and with that said We'll see you. We'll see you on the next one. Oh, my bad. Do it. Do it. That's it. On the next one. That's it. All right. (laughs) Much love, guys. Peace.